O.J. Simpson, the former football star who was accused of murdering his ex-wife and her friend. Did he do it? Honestly, is there even any question about it? We'll see on this episode of Podcast of the Week. Before I get into this, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be a little biased this episode and say that before I even get into it, I am 90% sure that OJ committed these crimes. But I'll let you decide what you think after I give you the evidence. Okay, so June 12th, 1994. Nicole Brown and Ronald Goldman were found dead outside of Nicole's condo in Los Angeles. So, Nicole had an ex-husband, a.k.a. O.J. Simpson, and being an ex-husband of anybody who's murdered, he immediately became a suspect. Now, let's talk about this crime scene a little bit before we get into anything else. So, the bodies themselves, Nicole was found with multiple, multiple stab wounds, and her head was actually barely left attached to her body. And after looking at... Her body and how she didn't have any blood on her feet it was assumed that she was killed first and then Ronald Goldman the other victim he was at bronze condo actually just returning a pair of glasses that was left at a restaurant he worked at by Brown and her family who visited that night but anyway he had a bunch of stab wounds everywhere like even on his hands from We assume self-defense and just all over his body and his face. He had multiple stab wounds in the cheek and the neck. And I believe on the left side of his body. I mean, they were just covered in blood. He had a wound on his abdomen that, you know, was most likely the cause of death. He just began to bleed out profusely and just ended up dying right there, which is awful. At said crime scene... After investigation, there were multiple, multiple samples of DNA found from Nicole, Ronald, and Simpson. So, honestly, is there a way to say Simpson wasn't there? I don't know, but we'll get into that later. So, on June 17th, the police informed Simpson's lawyer that he would need to turn himself in. And Simpson was going to, only he didn't show up. So he was wanted for murder and on the run. The pursuit lasted about 45 minutes until the police followed him to his house, where he was found in a Bronco with his friend Al Cowlings. And they arrested him that night and held Cowlings for harboring a fugitive. Funny thing about this Bronco that he was found in, though, was that after investigating it, there were $8,000 in cash, a change of clothing, a loaded 0.357 Magnum, a passport, family pictures, and finally a disguise kit. So the question is, was he planning to flee the country after he was charged with two counts of murder? Who would do that unless they were guilty? This is the beginning of where race started to play a big role in this case because there were just honestly citizens watching this case on the TV and saying that of course he would run because the police are after him and he's 
a black male who, you know, just doesn't get along well with police normally. And that's not his fault, so of course he would run. But other times, maybe he was running because he just murdered two people and was getting caught for it? The trial began on January 24th, 1995, which was seven months after the incident. This was, again, when everything started to go downhill. District Attorney Gil Garcetti chose to hold this trial in downtown Los Angeles over Santa Monica. Now, the difference between these two places is that Santa Monica was mainly higher class, um, primarily white citizens, where downtown Los Angeles was the lower class, was kind of a mix of people, but primarily African Americans. And supposedly, Garcetti chose to do this to gain the votes of these lower class people so that he could be voted in again next term. After choosing where to hold the case, they had to find their jury. And this proved to be quite a challenge. After they did so, they finally ended up finding 10 women and two men to be in the jury. It was made up of nine African Americans, one Hispanic, and two whites. So, in this case, we obviously had the prosecutors and the defense. Now, the defense is what made up the dream team, as people called it, because it was made of all of these high-profile defense lawyers, such as Robert Shapiro, F. Lee Bailey, Basically, all these big-time lawyers, and they honestly probably did the best job they could. Now, the prosecution side wasn't as great. It was mainly made up of Marsha Clark and Christopher Darden. They did okay, I guess. Things really started to go south for the prosecution once they introduced their main witness, which is Mark Furman, a former LAPD officer. Things about this investigation, which I will go into more detail later, more than likely, were a little bit fishy. But it all started when, after the crime scene was investigated, one officer was left at the crime scene alone, which just so happened to be Mark Furman. Funny thing is, while he was at the crime scene alone, he happened upon a lever leather glove. Now, this glove was a leather glove that not only was out in the cold, but it was also covered in blood. And after they analyzed it, they realized this blood was from Nicole, Ronald, and OJ. So they brought Furman up to the stand and asked him a bunch of questions. And then it was time for the defense to ask him questions. And the defense and prosecutors all asked questions about this glove. You know, where did he find it? And what did it look like? Was it the same glove they had that day? And all this. And then the defense started to ask him if he had placed this glove. If this glove that was not found before everyone else left was put there by Furman to make OJ look like a suspect. Furman, of course, denied this. I mean, even if it was true, who would admit that? But he said no, and of course, they asked him over and over again if he had done anything with the glove other than just say that it was evidence. He denied it over and over again. 
Then they started to ask him different questions. And these questions were about if Furman had ever used the N-word while in the field. Now, the relevance to this with the glove, I'm not quite sure, but just wait till you hear what else happened. They repeated this question over and over and over again, but every time Furman denied it, saying he had not used the N-word in the field and has not in the last 10 years, and he doesn't use it normally. And then the defense team showed up with tape recordings of him using this word. And it was then clear to everyone that he had lied about this. And the defense began to argue that the relevancy was that if he would lie about using this word, then he could be lying about placing this glove. Now, this was a bit extreme, but of course, some people bought it. The only real way the prosecution would be able to say that this glove belonged to OJ and that it was there the whole time was to let OJ try on this glove. Now, you'd think, you know, maybe it would work. That'd be great. He'd try on the glove. Everybody see that it fits. You know, he's a football player, so he's got big hands. Probably wouldn't be able to fit in the same gloves as most men. So, that's what they did. They got him to try on this glove. Only the glove, again, had been covered in blood for weeks, months now. And it had been subjected to the environment and all the elements and again it's a leather glove and after leather is subjected to moisture and is covered in blood it's gonna shrink a little bit and so when oj tried on this glove of course he was wearing latex gloves on his hands to you know make sure no more dna was passed but i mean that's already another layer adding in between his hand and this glove and the glove was again a little smaller than it was the time that the crime was committed. So it was already kind of a rough start. But OJ started to put on the gloves, and of course, being the actor he is, he made a show showing that these gloves did not fit his hands. But we later found out that OJ not only... You know, this glove was old and it had shrunk a little bit. You know, not really his fault. But OJ has arthritis in his hands. That he takes special arthritis medicine for to make sure his hands don't clam up. And he can bend his fingers and his hands don't swell up. Well, a couple weeks before the glove incident happened in court, his defense team told him to stop taking his arthritis medicine. And we come to find out that is so his hands are swollen by the day he has to try on this glove. So that's even more of a reason this glove cannot possibly fit on OJ's hands. He's wearing a layer underneath it to make his hand bigger. The glove has shrunk and his hands are swollen. So the fact that this police officer had lied about so much so that he just had to be lying about placing this glove, and the fact that the glove didn't fit OJ's hand, it seemed, at least, like it was possible OJ wasn't there. Other than the fact that a pair of bloody socks were found in Simpson's bedroom. Funny thing about these socks, it contained both Simpson and Nicole Brown's blood. 
But yet again, these socks were found by Mark Furman. So the same thing like the glove, he could be lying about it. You never know. Now, this case is going on. They're going back and forth. The prosecution side is getting absolutely demolished. But I want to take a minute and go back to this crime scene itself and just talk about what was found there. So, it happened at Nicole's condo right outside the door, right? The couple was found, not the couple, but Nicole and Ronald were found by a neighboring couple trying to return Brown's dog. Well, like I said before, they had multiple stab wounds, right? Stab wounds from a knife. Nicole, you know, her head was barely attached. It was awful, brutal. The funny thing about stab wounds is that they're caused by knives, right? Well, Simpson had participated in a pilot called Frogman not too long before the case and the whole murder and everything. But the thing about this pilot was that in the show, he used a knife to kill people or whatever he did in the show, but he had military knife training for this show. And in this training, he learned the silent kill technique, which was slashing the throat. Funny thing about this, the slash on the throat was the final wound inflicted that ran deep into Brown's neck, which severed her carotid artery. Another thing that leads Simpson to, you know, just be known as a violent man was that during his marriage with Brown, there were 62 incidents of abuse that happened. And Dr. Lenore Walker even said that this marriage was a textbook example of domestic abuse. So it's obvious that Simpson can be a violent guy. So it wasn't until the verdict was given on October 2nd at 3 p.m. The jury said that Simpson was acquitted on the both counts of murder. A lot of people in the U.S. and all over were celebrating this, and especially the people who believed that Simpson didn't do it just because he was a famous guy and he, he wouldn't do that. And, but these people that say he wouldn't do that don't even know him. They know the part of him that he portrays on the screen, they know that he is an American football star. They know he is an actor. They know he did all of this awesome stuff. So they don't want to believe that he is capable of murdering these two individuals. But when you look at the hardcore evidence, there's no way he didn't do it. He had no alibi the night of the murders. He was with nobody. He was nowhere, wasn't at a restaurant, wasn't with a girl, wasn't anywhere. There's no sign to point that he didn't murder these people. The only reason the jury agreed he didn't do it was because of this dream team defense that he had. And if he didn't have the money to pay for that, there's no doubt in my mind that Simpson would be in jail right now.